Hello and welcome to Water Source, the podcast series from the catchment team here at Dorkamri Welsh Water. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring Welsh Water's proactive approach to looking after water in the environment. And we'll be meeting a range of partners to learn about what work they're involved with that might be relevant to our own, to see what we can learn from each other and explore ways of working together. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Water Source, our podcast from the Drinking Water Catchments team here in Welsh Water. My name is Dave Ashford and I'm your host for the day. For this podcast, we want to talk to the people working throughout our catchments to improve the sustainability and the resilience of our drinking water supplies. Today, we are revisiting the Beacons Water Group, a farmer cluster we've been working with for a while as part of our Brecon Beacons Mega Catchment Programme. A few episodes ago, we met farmer and consultant Hugh Martineau, who spoke to us about a carbon farming project being developed by the group. But we're going in a slightly different direction today. Um, I've got two guests, and joining me from the catchment team is Nigel Elgar, who will be my co-host for the day. Hi. And from the Beacons Water Group itself, we've got farmer Kerry Davis. Um, Kerry, for people that don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself and your farm? Thank you, Dave. Yes, I'm Kerry Davis, organic beef and sheep farm uh, in the Brecon Beacons, uh, farming in partnership with my wife. We have three children that are semi-grown up, almost flown the nest, not quite. Um, yeah, we've been involved with environmental schemes from the in concept, really, early concept. Uh, we, we launched the Tier Gobble uh, programme for Wales. So uh, environmental projects have very much been the heart of our farm and uh, keen to get involved with the Beacons Water Group. And, uh, and having a view on the mega catchment as an overarching policy has been very, very enjoyable and interesting and um, we feel privileged, really, to belong to this active farmer group. Thanks, Kerry. Today, we're going to be talking about a study tour that you've recently been on. Um, but before we get into that, Nige, could you remind us a bit who the Beacons Water Group are and how we came to be working with them? Yeah, sure, Dave. Um, Beacons Water Group are, are six farmers who have come together and actually formed themselves as a community interest company. And uh, they're working with Welsh Water to pilot approaches to farm management that can provide business benefits, but also potentially reduce risk from diffuse pollution. And it's all based on a model from the Watershed Agricultural Council and the Cat Skills, uh, but adapted to a Welsh context. And, and Kerry was one of the farmers who accompanied me on a visit out there in, in 2019 to experience it for ourselves. The key difference with this initiative is that we're asking farmers to co-design an approach to catchment management using their knowledge and experience to deliver sustainable solutions. So you've recently been on a study tour across to the east of England. Um, could you tell us a bit about that? The reason why um, Farming Connect um, encouraging farmers to get together on a study tour was definitely one of them. And I want to thank Farming Connect wholeheartedly for that approach because uh, it's so um, it's so good when you go to see these projects on the ground. You know, you learn about um, not only the project, but take a step backwards. And it, I think it was Sean Mercer from NRW sent us a, a clip from the Groundswell project. And um, we all watched it. We were all inspired by this young girl, Lizzie, her name was, and um, and how she coordinated the farmer group and farmers paid for this themselves to get involved. And I think after having been privileged to go with Richard and Nigel to the Catskills to see how land was filtering 9 million people's drinking water, but there was another thing that happened, I think, when you're on these study tours and, um, you know, in difficult conversations, you respect each other's views better. And I think that's what I was most hoping to get out of this study tour was this six working farmer group 
can um, work together effectively as a group. And um, and and it's through that that time spent with each other that we actually get to know each other well enough that we trust each other in in our in our process going forward. We talk a lot these days about collaboration and working together. Um, but of course, that doesn't happen overnight. You can't turn on a collaboration by flicking a switch. So I think investing in those relationships and those groups is really important. So so who did you meet over in the study tour? Well, we, we were very fortunate that Nigel had done a lot of groundwork in organising a very inspirational tour, really. So there was very much part and parcel of looking at how other farmer groups and uh, knowledge hubs were dealing with um, not only recording data from um, drains and looking at how nutrients can effectively be held on farm, but looking and understanding cover crops was inspirational, um, understanding how uh, East Anglian arable farmers are turning to um, not having uh, bare soils uh, on their own back, not encouraged by governments to do this, um, to simply retain nutrients into their soil. And, and from a livestock farmer point of view, witnessing a beautiful uh, partnership that, that hasn't been explored. They don't have the livestock skills over in East Anglia. They don't have the infrastructure, but we do have the livestock skills and the livestock. And, and to be able to work with those farmers on a collaboration project, i.e., um, instead of them spraying off that cover crop that we actually grazed it for them January and February um, would, would significantly solve some of their problems and, in, and very much uh, become much more sustainable in our approach to livestock uh, and crop management. So um, can you paint a picture for me? Where, where exactly were you? What part of the country were you in and who were you meeting with? We went over to um, the Wensum catchment, which is in uh, North Norfolk, um, it's an area that's very different to, to the farming the Beacons Water Group are used to. Very flat land, very peaty land. But uh, as we saw over there, the, the issues are very similar and the approaches to solving them, they, they can be adapted between the different farming systems. So we went, visited the Wensum Cluster Group, of which Lizzie Emmett is the facilitator. They, as Kerry's already said, a really dynamic individual that was key to the success of the group. We also visited... Uh, the Morley Agricultural Foundation, which was the old Norfolk Farming Research Centre. Uh, and uh, they were study they were researching very practical, very simple interventions that farmers could do to minimize soil runoff and capture diffuse pollution. And then on the way back from the tour, we, we stopped off at the Allerton Project, the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust Research uh, Centre to see the amazing work they're doing, uh, the data collection they're doing uh, regarding min-till, no-till uh, field operations with use of catch crops, beetle banks, and other, other very simple, very practical interventions that could be adapted to almost any farming situation. So you say um, some simple practical interventions. Uh, Kerry, back to you. How... Is it, is, it, is it much more helpful to be able to see these things? Because we know there's a lot of change being talked about and lots of consultations and lots of policy papers, but does it help to physically go somewhere and see something on the ground to work out how you might be able to adapt that idea and bring it home to your own farm? Hugely so. Um, we've been very fortunate that um, we've managed uh, with, with, with Welsh Water to lie down map of farms. That's showing the hydrological flow 
of the water across the surfaces. So we're aware that certain fields have a topography that allows this hydrological flow to, to accentuate any runoff from these patches in the fields. And witnessing their understanding of that and switching it to practical solutions, i.e. Um, taking the sediment, our, our phosphate problems in our rivers is, is partly uh, to do with the amount of soil that these phosphates are attaching to. And this red soil on flood events is getting into our rivers and it's causing um, all our industries lots of problems. So to understand, uh, they had a simple solution on farm tracks where they, um, they decided amongst themselves to make a grid, a cattle grid type event um, that stopped the flow of water, but not only stopped it, they then sent a little open ditch around, not very deep, and then bunded it so that water couldn't escape. It, it did escape, it ran over the top, but the sediment had a moment to separate. So that sediment track was really simple intervention and very, very effective. And the second one we saw was V drains. They, they made these steel plates with a commonly known V shape in it. And that again slowed the sediment in these waters and they'd come back and drain and dig the sediment out over a period of maintenance of two years. So simple, very simple um, interventions that made quite a big effective change. I mean, on the classic scale, we even saw a um, 24 village um, uh, treatment plant and the farmer there on this research station had offered a approach to helping the water authority um, doing three bed reed system to protect the integrity of the water coming out of the discharge. And I thought, well, what a wonderful partnership between a landowner and a water authority, simple interventions, but hopefully making a massive difference to water quality. And th those things came home. These things aren't very expensive, but huge, big outcomes coming from them. So that was nice to see on the ground. What you just said then about sediment traps, um, uh, Kerry, presumably quite inexpensive. Are they difficult to, to create? Is that something that anybody could have a go at? I think, you know, we have to bear in mind of uh, what Wales has in difference to uh, East Anglia, and that is number one, rainfall and topography. I mean, they were largely on 40, 24 to 40 inches of rainfall, um, fairly level slopes. Where, where we farm with 90 inches of rain and uh, considerably more slopes involved. So some of the measures would have to be, um, while still effective, would have to be rethought about how how to engage with these massive flood events storm dennis those type of events and uh, the practicalities they were very much aware that they could only do this to a certain height because they didn't want to cause flooding potentials further down the road you know so all these things are very very simple and practical but we also have to reflect on the amount of water we're trying to hold back as well so there are problems but i think together now we understand the hydrological flow working out systems to suit your own farm um, on a on a very simple... I mean, there was another one. He got a cover over a yard, um, a beet yard, and he was using it to store muck in the winter. And he, he sloped all the floor of the yard to go into, an, into a tank. But instead of having um, like a pumping system, he would actually, every two months, pump this leachate from this yard back onto the straw and compost, and it was reabsorbing it thus taking all the nutrients out with the muck spreader once more. And a very simple thing that I hadn't come across, most tanks, so you go in a tanker and you spread it with a, and, and cause the nitrogen to go up in the air. This was such a simple thing, putting those leachate back onto the straw and acting as a sponge to take it back up again. I thought, well, that wasn't difficult to understand, you know? And your topsoil is your most precious commodity, so anything that you can do to protect the resilience and the quality of that is got to be a top priority for you. Yeah, well... 
understanding what we can do. And the six farmers are pretty proactive in our group. And they've been looking at introducing a um, vegetative buffer strip. And we happened to be on a farm, uh, David Thomas is in Penwern on an open day with him the other day. And to witness how that farmer had um, thought about how he would graze his fodder beak with his cows and putting these three metre buffer strips at the bottom of the of the runoff. But not only that, he was deciding to graze from the top side of the field down so that the whole crop was a buffer zone effectively all the way to the bottom. And uh, looking at these tracks running alongside it and whether or not they were the gateways in the field were actually components of drawing the nutrients together and sending a, a flood event off down into the ditch. So, and, and again, he'd done a, an overwinter stubble option um, on the field and we were looking at he hadn't sown corn on the steepest part of the field, protecting the integrity of the main road, but also the integrity of his soils. Very simple things that the, this David had, had introduced onto his farm, but with huge effect, you know. So it was nice to see us as a group working on practical solutions um, with the knowledge and not, not Welsh Government telling us to do this. This is us farmers wanting to do this to see what, what evidence we could provide for data because it's all about earned recognition going forward in the next funding stream. So we're very keen to establish best practice, but also use these two years of transition wisely um, to helpfully formulate some evidence behind our decisions. So, so where do we go from here? I think, I think the message was, take home message was that if we're to tackle diffuse pollution, we have to be working at a catchment scale. Um, so any interventions have to be very, well, relatively small, but easy to implement on every farm. It's no good spending a lot of money on a very uh, elaborate system on one farm. We've got to have this going across all the catchments. Um, so it's those simple interventions that we can bring back. And, and as Kerry's already said, our, our topography and our rainfall is different, but we can do the same, take the same principles and just adapt them to our own situations here, trial them. And then ultimately down the road, when we've evidenced them that they're working effectively is, is the Beacons Water Group can be the mentors for uh, the agricultural industry within Wales, you know, take that messaging out uh, and disseminate it further. Referring to the question, David, about what we can take home to do on our own farm, understanding the problems of an organic system and weeds, um, we've been engaging with overwinter stubble crops and, and to witness the problem of the weed source in the soil increasing the burden and how sustainable is that in an organic system where we don't have glyphosate as an option. So we're wondering, should we not have ability to get into that overwinter stubble option? Should we not put a cover crop as soon as we've got that that crop off, uh, put a cover crop to retain the nutrients, to improve soil health, to get in, uh, we watched the crop Vesselia growing so beautifully there and um, witnessing the, 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 the root structure, how it was improving the soil. Um, this is something that New Zealand farmers have been embracing to improve their carbon stock in their soils through a natural cover crop and I think we, we were very slow to adapt that policy here. So going forward, I would like to see ourselves not to overwinter stubbles, not even to be allowed that option, but instead put a cover crop in there um, and then to feed the birds. That's what it fundamentally is that that overwinter stubble is, the, is a feed source for birds. Well, wouldn't it be better to put a hectare of feed specifically for birds with millet in it and then clean our soils up, being much more sustainable as an organic farmer, but feeding birds where birds are meant to be fed? That seemed to be a much more sustainable option that we previously haven't thought about within policy. Thanks for that thought uh, there, Kerry. But, but also I'm wondering, in terms of bringing messages home, 
is a big part of this going forward, not so much the practical farm interventions, but the conversations, the speaking to other farmers, the learning from each other. Is that part of the idea as well? Well, fortunately, I think everybody's aware of the need for change within policy and farmers are learning to adapt. They don't know what this carbon storage entirely means, but neither do I. But the journey we are all on together does offer an opportunity for a change of concepts and mind about how we farm going forward. So it's an ideal time to hopefully get a, a simple message across effectively, but then understanding how this Beacons Water Group goes out to um, on a catchment scales. It was interesting watching that group, how three farmers came together to, and it was actually a, a, a threat almost that if the, if the Wensum River didn't clean itself up, that the arable options may well have to come to an end. And that threat to those farmers, they took it very seriously. So they began um, understanding what it is that they are creating a problem with. And this four-month window in January and February, where the nutrients are floating about without a crop, crop effectively taking it up, was their starting point. Um, but then they understand how to make the group bigger. So, um, and, and, and it was farmers wanting to get in. The day we were there, three other farmers were joining that group. And they, they're at that point of 30 strong. They don't know whether the group can continue to grow and still have the same vibrant feel about the um, how the group felt within working with each other. So that's that's an interesting one. But going forward, I, we expect, we, we look forward to the Beacons Water Group becoming a catchment scale approach um, where we can affect real change on the environment of our rivers and our communities, really. Some really strong kind of aspirational messages there. It'd be good to come back in future and see how these projects are developing, see how momentum is picking up and see what other lessons we can carry on sharing with other people. Look forward to it. I think it's important to realise that we, as six farmers, need to um, collect the data. We we may well make mistakes on this journey and um, we must be careful to make sure we get the basics right first. So as we go out to hopefully uh, spread a good positive message, we know what we're doing will work on the ground on our own farms. I think that's quite important to us as six farmers, really, is learn to learn to walk before we run in, in this. So whilst there is a need for um, spreading it much wider and becoming a bigger group, initially, it's very much about making mistakes slowly and learning from them and hopefully finding the best way forward and adapting the changes to make a good policy work on our own farms. Thanks very much for that. Thank you very much. Thank you, Welsh Water, and thank you, Farm Farming Connect, for allowing this journey of ours to take place. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode of Water Source. <laughs>